0: Hi, welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Alex Papas, Senior Pastor at Oceans Unite Christian Center. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all this morning, and um, I am really looking forward to getting into the message with you. It's... uh, it's this morning when we got up, it was a weird time. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be that time, but that it was that time. And then we argued about whether we lost an hour or gained an hour. And the sun was supposed to be here or there. Or, but we are still here. Amen. The church has not been raptured yet. Just know this, if you arrive here and I'm not here... <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> First, make sure I'm not on leave. <laughs> All right, if it's, me and Pastor William, we're definitely going. The rest, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure. <laughs> okay. All right, well, it's great to be with you, and I hope you guys are enjoying the series on the book of Revelation. I have to tell you that I am enjoying it so much, and just doing the research, and just discovering more things. God's Word is so rich and so powerful and so life-changing. I remember when I made a decision to do this series, I thought I would try and do two churches a week and sort of try and rush through it, but I'm really not gonna do that. In fact, the first time I taught out of the book of Revelation, I did all the churches in one week. So I don't know how I did that, but (laughs) but here we are, and we're about to dive into the second church. Last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus, for those of you that don't know, the churches in Asia Minor were the seven churches that Jesus gave the message to John about. And they were actually, it's Asia, Asia Minor back then, but now it's actually Turkey. It's where Turkey is right now. So that's the area we're looking at. Ephesus was the church last week and it was such a, an awake, awakening to me personally, I don't know about you, of a church that's working hard, doing things right, against the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, against false doctrine and teachings, stood for what was right, probably had the best pastor, Timothy. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better pastor than Timothy, the disciple, the spiritual son of Paul the apostle. I mean, if you wanted to have someone as your pastor, it would be him. But yet, even with him leading the congregation and them doing all the right things, working hard, everything, they were still in a place of danger where the threat of losing their first love was imminent. But Jesus gave them a message, and from what we study in the the books, the history books, it would seem as though the church made a turnaround after the letter was sent out. What happened later, many things happened. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But today we're gonna dive into the second church, which is the church at Smyrna. Now, if you have a Bible, you'll see that more than likely, at the topic or the heading of this church is what they call the persecuted church. And Smyrna was probably the most persecuted church that Jesus addresses. So we know there were more churches, but at that time, this church was addressed. And out of the seven churches we'll cover, this one was the one that was persecuted the most. This letter, guys, it's intense. This is an intense letter but it's so important that we take note every address is to a pastor or the angel whatever you believe pastor or angel i believe pastor or senior leader of that church and then he would share these letters with the congregation ultimately these letters are without any question applicable to each and every one of us in some way we must take note of the good things and the bad things the warnings and what they were praised for. Don't do what they were warned not to do and do what they were praised for. Can you say amen? amen? That's how I desire to live my life as I serve God and continue to run my race. And I pray the same for each and every one of you. So let's go to Revelation 2, verse number eight. Revelation 2, verse number eight, we'll read the address. It's only like four verses, but we'll spend the whole day today in here. And... Um, I'm sure you'll be able to go for lunch at around two o'clock, amen. All right, Revelation 2, verse number eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Wow. That's the address to the church in Smyrna, and it's loaded, guys. It's loaded with such richness. If you had to look at the way that John writes, for me, he's probably the most interesting writer in the New Testament, because one of the things I love about John is that John is the disciple who loved Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It was, he, he, he loved Jesus so much. In fact, and the Bible tells us that Jesus loved him. <laughs> okay? But what's so powerful is that there's a... Can you hear me now? There we go. All right. Sorry about that. I do apologize, but I'd rather just have it all ready to go. There's no hurry. Right? <laughs> this is the second service. Come on. You guys had more sleep than the first service. Had to get up earlier to be at church. But you, you got to sleep late. You got a second cup of coffee. There's no rush. So I'm going to take my time. <laughs> Amen. All right. Now, I was telling you how in the Old Testament, we see an amazing character who is David, who the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. If you look at the way David writes, he writes in such a poetic way. I wish I could pray the way David writes because I believe that a lot of that is prayer and singing to the Lord. Now, we can do it by actually singing the Psalms but I want it to come from me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to sing a psalm that you create to the Lord? It's not that funny. It's actually very powerful, except it doesn't sound anything like David. I honestly think that in the New Testament, the closest to David was John. So his writings are very interesting. In other words, what I mean is that if you look at what he writes, it means what he says but he does have a lot of richness and meaning in his writings and especially in the book of Revelation. Now there's no mistake with every address to every church in this book. First of all, just the fact that the church's name is Smyrna or in the city of Smyrna, it's very interesting because the root word or the word that Smyrna comes out of is the word myrrh. Myrrh, and what is myrrh? Myrrh is a sweet smelling perfume that they used to embalm dead bodies. Now it's interesting in this address, he's talking to the church that gets persecuted, in fact, to the point where some will die. And he's writing to the church in Smyrna, which comes out of the word myrrh, which is a perfume that they used for the dead. Isn't it amazing? No mistakes. I've already told you that it was the most persecuted church, no question about that. But the city was large, beautiful, and it was a very proud city. They say that it was the center of learning and culture. It was a beautiful city. It claimed to be the glory of Asia. Smyrna was considered the most beautiful city, also called the ornament of Asia. What you'll find out about Smyrna, and you'll find this out a little later on as well in the text, is that it had a very large Jewish population, Hebrew population. And unfortunately, some of these individuals were very hostile to the Christian movement in that time. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. It was a city that had idol worship. There were certain temples and things built. But as time progressed, the church in Smyrna had one focus. And you'll find out if you study biblical history or church history, that worship of the Roman emperor became extremely popular. And in fact, in the city of Smyrna, this became the most popular form of worship. They were worshiping the emperor, became very, very big at that time. And so what would happen was you would have to at least once a year appear before the Godhead of Caesar and you would have to burn a pinch of incense at that altar. You would have to burn it And once you did that, you swore that he was your God and he was your only God, that you were given a certificate. And that certificate was given to you so that you could go into the city and operate as normal. This is interesting. Think about the time that we're living in. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the Christians wouldn't do it. And so because they didn't do it, did not have the certificate, they suffered great persecution Great persecution. So let's take a look at it. Let's go to Revelation 2. We'll start in verse number eight. Can you believe we haven't even started reading the text yet? And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And believe it or not, just in that verse, there's a lot. First of all, we know the address to the angel or pastor at Smyrna. You can go listen to part one and learn all about that. These things says the first and the last. This is so powerful because if you look at the book of Isaiah several times, the Lord is referred to as the first and the last. I read to you earlier, I think in, in, in Revelation 1, you'll see where he refers to himself as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. And in fact, he will use this terminology several times. But every single address is purposeful. He's the first and the last, He was there in the beginning, before every false idol, before every false god, he was there. And in the end, no matter what you go through, no matter what happens, he is still going to be there. He's the first and he's the last. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a clap. That's pretty powerful in itself. But this is when it becomes extremely purposeful to this church, or has purpose. He says, who was dead... This is Jesus now, he's the one who's giving the address who was dead and come to life. Now understand, when they read the rest of this letter, they will understand why this part is so important because we know that Jesus was the one who died and rose again. And writing to a church that's about to be persecuted, suffering already persecution, you need to know that listen, no matter what you go through, Jesus died and rose again, and that he was the first who will rise, which means that every one of us will arise. The first death is just a death of the body, but after the first death, we rise again, and we have a new body. He says, who was dead and came to life. I think this is so powerful. If you consider the context of what he's about to write about and what they're experiencing, Remember, this was given to them as a letter. When the letter was received, it was read. The church is suffering persecution and they have fear. Can you imagine? That fear is very real. People are dying. Are you with me? And now he reads and he says, listen, this is the address. These things says the first and the last. He's with you from the beginning. He'll be there all the way in the end who was dead and come to life. That in itself must have motivated them, bringing to remembrance that, listen, he died but rose again, and you too, no matter what you go through, if you make it to the end, you will also rise again. I think this is great. This is so powerful. Then he says, I know your works. And we spoke a little bit about this last time. In every address, Jesus talks about what they do as a church. So what we do does matter. Works do matter. We are not saved by works, but most certainly the way we live and what we do will affect the way we live in eternity. No question about that. And every time Jesus addresses these churches, he's addressing them and saying, listen, I know what's going on. I walk in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, the seven churches. I know what's happening in every one of your your churches and I know, listen to me, what you're going through. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows everything you're going through. Every struggle, every trouble, every tribulation, every problem, He not only knows the bad things, He also knows when you get up and worship Him. He knows when you make a decision to do what's right and and not what's wrong. He knows when you worship, when you praise, when you give thanks. He knows everything we do. He knows the motives of your heart. He knows it. He knows it all. Amen. So he says, I know your works. And now it's about to get really intense. He says, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We have to start with the word tribulation. I know your works. What is he talking about? He's talking about what they're now going through. Tribulation, I know your tribulation. The word tribulation is important, because we need to recognize what this tribulation is. We will go through trouble. We will go through tribulation. The Bible tells us that. But there are different types of tribulation, and we'll get into that. But this type of tribulation is the Greek word philipsis. Philipsis. And the word philipsis speaks of affliction. It speaks of suffering. It speaks of oppression, major distress. This was no stranger to John the Apostle. He understood tribulation, because we know from, first, from Revelation 1 verse number nine, he says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. So he is telling us, listen, I know what you're going through. When he says, when the Lord Jesus says, he says, I know your works, your tribulation, John can relate to this. How can I say that? Well, because remember, at this point, all the other apostles have been martyred. They've already died. Are you with me? John has seen all of that. Some historians believe that he was burned in oil and did not die or was risen from the dead, one of the two. And because of that, they took him and exiled him to Patmos. He understood real tribulation real persecution but let's take a little bit more of a look at this let me give you an example of how paul describes the tribulation that they experienced at one point in their ministry let's go to second corinthians 1 verse number 8 are you all okay all right second corinthians 1 verse number 8 for we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble, that's the same word, philipsis, our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure and above strength so that we despaired even to life. Do you see the intensity? Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, watch this, but in God who raises the dead. He's saying, listen, we trusted in God. we were going through tribulation, but listen, no matter what happens, whether a miracle happens or doesn't happen, I rely on the one who raises the dead, fully knowing that if Jesus rose, no matter what happens to them, they will rise too. Amen. Very, very powerful. Then he says, "Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, deliver us in whom we trust that we will still, that he will still deliver us. A great picture of what real, real tribulation looks like. Let's go back to Revelation 1, verse number nine. So he knows their works, their tribulation, and poverty. The word poverty is the word potochea, potochea, and it means, it's it's not, like poor, it doesn't mean that I'm like struggling from paycheck to paycheck. I'm not really making ends meet. I'm suffering along. I'm poor. That's not what it means. What it means is destruction. What it destitution really. What it means is total poverty. You see, you must understand that because they did not worship the emperor god, they were persecuted so intensely that they were fired from their jobs. Their goods were plundered. They were literally under economic persecution. Perhaps they couldn't even buy. We don't know the extent, but what we do know from the historians is most certainly they couldn't get work. People would not hire them because they were Christian. Are you gonna continue to run your race, guys? That's persecution. That's what real persecution looks like. And they stood strong. But Jesus makes a statement He says this, he says I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. So he's giving them hope. In other words, because of your suffering, because of what you're going through and the situation is so desperate, you're destitute basically. I want you to know that actually you are rich. Doesn't sound real. But the word rich there is a powerful word. It's plusios, and it means excessive riches. It means opulence. So it's an absolute opposite of what you're seeing when it comes to destitute. Are you with me? Because you must understand that these that will continue to run their race regardless of this oppression and persecution, God is going to bless their socks off. God is going to bless them above and beyond what any of us could ever imagine in the place where it really, really counts. Oh, well, you know, you know, God never, nothing will ever happen. We'll never, ever. That's not true. There are times you may go through persecution, real persecution. I'm all for prosperity, I believe God wants to bless us. But you must understand, that sometimes certain individuals for the sake of the kingdom will suffer persecution. And when they do, they are no less saved. Don't start saying, well it's because of their cousin and their brother and what they did when they were 20. Or you know, it's because of that, because of what you see, sin, you know. No, if you're truly suffering persecution for the kingdom, it can just be because that's what you're gonna have to go through. It's scriptural, it's just what happened to this church. There's no deliverance for them in the natural. It's very quiet in Vera Beach. You don't hear this all the time from the pulpit, right? But this is the Bible, guys. Now watch what he says. But before we do that, let's go to Hebrews ten thirty four. Let me show you just a couple of scriptures to encourage you for when you are suffering persecution for the sake of the gospel. Hebrews 10, 34 says, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever, that will last forever. There will not always be deliverance from that situation. It doesn't always come how we want. Lord, deliver us. Sometimes that deliverance will not be what you expect, but what's waiting for you is far greater. Amen. Amen. This is not to discourage you. This is to encourage you. James 2 verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? If you love him, if you carry on going, you will be rich in faith. Sometimes people will have to go through things to get to that place. First Timothy six seventeen says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, and they be rich in good works. That's more important than the wealth. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout. Come on, give the Lord a clap. (laughs) We only want to shout when it makes us feel better. This this should make you feel better because no matter what, no matter how low you go, you're gonna go right up. You're gonna go right up to where it counts. (laughs) Now, I want to show you real quick in Revelation 3:17, the address is the opposite. Watch this. He's addressing the church at Laodicea, and I can't wait to get there because it's the last church. It's, it's very interesting. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. He's not a church addressing the city, guys. He's addressing the church. Christians. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, what's basically happened is that they've relied on their wealth to be their security. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being financially blessed as long as that money doesn't own you. Are you with me? So persecution is a part of what the church will go through. Now watch. Not every form of persecution is because of the kingdom. Sometimes we are persecuted because of things that we do. In other words, sometimes we've just been dumb. Is that all right? Let's go to 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Take a look at this. (laughs) Pastor Alex said dumb from the stage. I'll say it again. (laughs) When I do something... Dumb, it's dumb. Is that okay? All right. First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, for the name of Christ, let's read that again. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of your suffering, in other words, if it says, but none of of your suffering, that means that there are times that you will suffer for other reasons. So let none of your sufferings be because or as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Let me come down there for this part. I don't want to stay up there for this. I think I need to come down here and look you in the eye. Amen. Wow, that's a heavy category right there. And then he gets to the last part. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Wow. Now take a look that in the company in which that statement is made. It's in the company of a murderer, a thief, and an evildoer. Well, you might say, well, you know, I'm never gonna murder anyone. That's right, but the Bible does, concern, con, con, does compare murder, and anger. So let me ask you a question. If your anger gets out of control, does anything good come from it? Or will you suffer persecution? But that persecution was not brought on by anybody else except that you couldn't control yourself. And even if it was somebody else, control yourself. Most certainly not to that extent, is that okay? A thief that speaks for itself. If you're gonna steal, you're gonna suffer persecution. It's just what's gonna happen. Whether you get caught or whether you don't, you're gonna suffer persecution. An evildoer, we could spend all day right there. What does that mean? Someone who is doing evil. That's an evildoer. Someone who is doing evil. In other words, they have evil intent in their heart. They want to go out and do harm, do hurt people, speak evil, do what, that's what an evil person does or does contrary to the word of God what is evil. And then last of all, of course, a busybody, someone that's in everybody else's business, someone that has a lot to say about everything, someone that knows better, you know, that person that doesn't realize that there's actually a plank in their own eye before they try and take the speck out of your eye, that's a busybody. Always going around, always causing trouble, always has a lot to say. Listen, I always give the guys a hard time and say, Listen, you shouldn't be so much in your men's groups, but ladies, when you all get together, woo. that's why God created Adam and Eve and said that the two shall become one flesh. In other words, you have been reborn. You are no longer yourself. You are no longer yourself. You are a new creation. And I could spend all day right there. But the fact is, is that this is dangerous and causes us to suffer persecution. I don't wanna waste too much time here, but I want you to understand that there are times you will go through difficult times because of things like that, that we actually inflict on ourselves. But when it comes to the church and the cause of the kingdom, persecution is different. It comes for the sake of the kingdom of God. In other words, you are standing up for the truth and now you are being persecuted. Are you with me? All right, let's go deep. Are you all okay? Because it's about to get really interesting. So let's go back to Revelation 2, verse number nine, so we can put it into context. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And then he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And this is an interesting bit of scripture. The first thing we need to take a look at and understand is that there were some Jews in the city that did not like the Christian faith. Please take note, some, not all. Is that okay? But this statement is something that they would understand. You see, the word synagogue is not what you think it is. The word synagogue is not a building. The word synagogue actually means gathering or coming together or a direct translation from the Greek would be assembly. It's an assembly. Now, the second part of the word, I'm gonna get to in a moment, but I want you to see something. The Jews understood this terminology because they did not wanna be called the assembly of Satan. But here he calls them the assembly of Satan. In the book of Numbers, chapter number 20, verse number four, look at how they were addressed. Why have you brought up the assembly, the synagogue of the Lord into the wilderness? Let's go to Numbers 16, verse number three. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord, the synagogue of the Lord? So they understood what he was saying. Now, the greatest insult would obviously be to be, would be, to be called Satan. So the assembly, the, the assembly of the Lord is what they would wanna be referred to, but here they are referred to as the assembly of Satan. The word Satan in the Greek means slanderer. The word Satan means adversary. That's actually the true, true definition. And also means accuser. They were the gathering assembly and they were accusing the Christians. That's what they were doing. That's what he means by synagogue of Satan. They were the synagogue of Satan. They were the assembly, an assembly of accusers coming against these Christians. Now, you must understand something, that in Acts 14, verse number two, it says, but the unbelieving, in other words, these Jews that were not Christian, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. There were groups of Jewish believers at the time, I wanna say this again, groups of Jewish believers that were very strong in their their beliefs and very against the Christian church and persecuted them. In other words, they were the accuser. What would they do? They would go to the authorities, tell on them, say that they were not bowing the knee and guess what would happen to those Christians? But don't get mad at the Christians because Many years later, Christianity was made the only religion. And what began to happen was that people were persecuted if they did not accept Christianity, and included in that were the Jews. In fact, the Jews were raped, murdered, killed, all kinds of horrible things would happen to them. And this goes all the way to the time of Hitler, where they were persecuted and murdered And everyone that is like that, whether Jew or Christian, is of the synagogue of Satan, the assembly of the accuser. Come on, somebody. Amen. None of it is right, none of it is good. Because you must remember, there are always going to be groups of bad Christians. Let me say that again on this side of the room. (laughs) There will always be groups of bad Christians, those of the synagogue of Satan. And there will always be Jews and others, other religions that are evil, but they're not all evil. I'm gonna go as far as to say this, don't get mad at me, but don't think that every Muslim is so bad. Yes, they are misled, but I know some great Muslims who don't wanna kill Christians at all. Don't send me an email now. Jesus, listen to me. Loves them as well. Not what they do, not what they believe, but loves them as well. All right, so none of it is good. Now, let's continue. Revelation 2, verse number 10. So he tells them in verse number nine, he tells them that they will suffer and that they will suffer this persecution. He tells them all about it. Then he says in verse number 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. In other words, this is coming your way. This persecution is coming your way. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and you, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. And he doesn't say, but don't worry, I'll get you out of it. He says, be faithful until death. Wow. Be faithful until death. Now, let me ask you a question Is God any less God or any less of a miracle worker, a deliverer or a healer because he doesn't deliver them? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But for the sake of the kingdom, different things happen on the earth and we just have to know that He is still on the throne and he is still the same. Amen. Do not fear any of these things you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. Why 10 days? It's a good question. The majority of scholars agree that the 10 days represents when a Christian was arrested because he would not follow the religion of the day he was thrown into prison and given 10 days to change his mind During those 10 days what does it say it says it says there you will be thrown into prison 10 days that you may be tested and you will have tribulation they were tortured they were punished and they had to suffer during those 10 days. And when those 10 days were over, if they did not renounce Christ, they were murdered in one of two ways primarily, either in the ring of the gladiators, in the ring with animals that they would come out and kill them, or they were burnt at the stake, one of the two. Now, let me give you some very interesting history and something that will shock you maybe. How many of you in this room have heard of Polycarp? Okay, there's a few of you. Polycarp was a pastor at Smyrna. In fact, historians agree that he was probably, I mean, like really probably, the pastor of Smyrna at the time the letter was written. He was the pastor at Smyrna at the time the letter was written. And what happened to him? was he was arrested and thrown into prison. He would not renounce his faith. And when they took him out, they took him out and burned him at the stake. And the historians say that while he was burning, he would not burn. While he was burning, he would not burn. So he continued to preach while he was burning. He was preaching and preaching and preaching to the point where they got so upset that one of the soldiers or someone, I'm not sure, took a spear and stabbed him in the heart to kill him. And he died. And he was an example to all the Christians who were following the Christian religion that this is what would happen to you. But the plot thickens. Because Polycarp, historians tell us, was actually one of John's spiritual sons. And you can, go, you can go look me up on this. He was one of John's spiritual sons, at the very least, a, a, a disciple of John. And what they say is, just think about this for a moment. He knows that Polycarp is the pastor. And he's writing this letter to someone who he's raised up and trained in the ways of the kingdom. And he's telling him, listen, you guys are gonna suffer for 10 days and, and you're gonna have to die, some of you. And there's a good chance that while John was writing this, that he knew possibly that Polycarp would be one of those. We don't know how much the Lord revealed to him, but at the very least, he was concerned for him. Amen? Doesn't it just make it so much more interesting? Amen? So he says, he says, indeed, the devil is about to throw you into prison. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. And this is very powerful. The word crown there is not the word diadem in the Greek, which actually speaks of a crown like a king's crown, it's more like a wreath that is given to athletes that finish their race. When Paul spoke about, I have finished my race, there is a prize, he was talking about that wreath that would be given to him for finishing his race and for finishing strong. He says, there is a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me. That's another crown that's given to those who finish their race and do certain things. But here he's referring to the crown of life, which is mentioned in James 1, verse number 12. Let's go there real quick. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised (laughs) to those who love him. Let me tell you something. If you wanna know if someone truly loves Jesus, when you are faced with death and you are told to make a choice, If you choose Jesus, I don't think there's any doubt that you love him. And so those that were willing to go all the way to the end, there was a guarantee of a crown of life that would be waiting for them. And in verse 11 it says, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. In other words, you may die the first death, which is your natural death. The second death is after judgment. And those that are judged at the second death will, will, will die forever. They'll be in eternal fire. That's the second death. Christians experience the first death. We die in the natural, on the, in earth. We go to be with the Lord, but we don't have the second death. We live forever. And he says that those who, who will make it Will get this crown of life. They will not experience the second death. Now, I want to really challenge you this morning. And I know some people get mad, but I want you to think about this. What would have happened to those Christians that denied Christ? I don't want you to answer loud, I want you to think about it. What would have happened to them if they denied him? It says that if they don't and they make it, they will not experience the second death. So if they do, what will happen? Don't say anything. I want you to go and really think about it. Now, there's just one thing I wanna say, is that Peter did deny Christ. He did repent. But I don't wanna be someone that does something like that in that moment and then thinks, well, don't worry, I'll just repent afterwards and it'll be all good. We like to play with our Christianity today and think that we can just do things because doctrinally, if we believe this, well, we'll be okay forever. Don't mess with what you've been given. You've been given the greatest gift that could possibly be given to anybody. And don't think that those Christians that have made that decision to lay their life down will not be rewarded greatly for it. God's grace is far beyond what we can ever imagine, but don't test it. Don't play with it for the sake of what you believe theologically to be correct. The price that was paid for you was so great, it was blood. The king came down and died for you to have life. Don't deny him in the way that you live your life. And that goes for every day, that doesn't speak of death. I'm talking about how you live. Don't deny him in how you live. There is a cost for it, don't do it. He's given everything, laid his life down completely for us. And like in a marriage, if someone lays their life down for their spouse, surely that person will respond by doing the same. If not, what do you think about that person? Right? We see a persecuted church, a church that really goes through a difficult time, but in the end, the reward is so great. You know, I was sharing last night with the church that came to church, the good ones, (laughs) 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 that God is enough. And ultimately, what it comes down to is we see David write, he says, I will love you, Lord. I will love you. In this story, we see individuals that really do, to the point of absolute death, they really do love him. Now, you may never have to face that, and I hope that you don't. I don't want that for anybody. I would much rather not have to go through that. But if you do, will you stand in that day? Will you truly stand? That's the day you'll be tested beyond measure to see whether you really are a Christian. But the truth is, guys, you are tested every day. Every day. And God has done everything for us. He loves us so much. Let's love Him back. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.